Hiya, and welcome to Brain Injury Advice, where we provide help and advice for people after a brain injury. My name's Brooke, and I've lived with a traumatic brain injury since 2007. Hi, I'm Ashwani, and I'm a trustee at Headway Warrington. I'm also a senior associate solicitor focusing on catastrophic injury, including brain injury. In this episode, we'll be talking more about um, the journey of being in hospital, um, how as an injured person, it felt um, like being in hospital, and also tips for friends and family members who might have a loved one um, in hospital after a brain injury. Um, so looking first of all at the typical journey, um, we talked about when you had your accident, Brooke, um, and the sort of the scene um, at the time, it was absolute chaos. Um, you had the ambulance and lots of people around. Um, and then you were taken to A&E, is that right? I was taken initially to MRI, Manchester Royal Infirmary, which is was just like just around the corner really from where it happened. They waited for some of my family members. My um, my mum's come across from Scarborough and uh, they were... Then it was apparent that they were told that a bed had become available in Hope Hospital, which is now changed its name to Salford Royal Hospital. And um, that was quite a, a big thing because the one of the best neuro units in certainly the area, if not the country. And um, my mum didn't want me to, apparently my mum didn't want me to be moved because I was in such a state. Mm. Uh, she'd apparently come in and my head was massively swollen um i was obviously i hadn't been cleaned up when she saw me and um they moved me up to hope hospital and that's yeah. where i was in icu what's it called intensive care yeah know. yeah and the reason you would have been moved to Sol- salford royal as it is now is that it's a major trauma center um so it's one of um a few designated uh, major trauma centres in the country that are specially equipped to deal with um, patients with um, severe traumatic brain injuries. Um, So you said that you were then um, in intensive care. Have your family talked to you about um, the sort of um, the treatment you were having whilst you were in intensive care and the, the clinical team around you who was involved? They mentioned that I had like I had physio when I was in there. They used to it was quite obviously quite traumatic for mum to see it. I had physio and they used to like sit me up, move me about, um, just so I didn't get bed sores and stuff like that. Yeah. Um I I'm not too sure beyond that. And I dare say, even if you were conscious, you won't really have much recollection no. of it. They used um, to do they used to do something called OBS, which observe you know, they used to observe you. And um they would like to see if you re- like reacted to pain and they used to cause pain to me and like mm. once it was quite horrible they used to like um yeah you know, squeeze my nose and stuff like that and yeah. just just you know see if see if they, test your responses yeah exactly yeah yeah and it's important as you say with physiotherapy to to keep somebody moving because if they're going to be in a bed for a long period of time you've mentioned uh, bed sores um there are also things like making sure that somebody doesn't get a chest infection um making sure that they're you know they don't have mucus sort of sitting on their lungs right. for too long so it's important to to keep moving um to I keep the a, patient moving i had a tracheostomy is it tracheostomy mm. actually and i've still got a scar there um, which is why I like to wear a V-neck t-shirt in uh, in summer to show it off. But it's, it's, <laughs> show your war wings. Exactly, yeah. Because that's, that's one of the things about brain injury. You don't, 
somebody with a brain injury can essentially look completely normal. And um, although I had this massive thing happen to me uh, that, you know, put me in a coma for 16 days and put me in hospital for six months and I've essentially spent the rest of the last 15 years of recovering and will do probably the rest of my life, um, I don't really have many physical scars to show from it. So, mm. yeah, that's, that's one thing I've got. And they used to, mum said they used to like, clear that clear the 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 pipes and it used to be yeah it used to be quite traumatic for her to listen to yes i can imagine um and from intensive care i believe you went to a high dependency unit yeah it was called uh, a water in salford royal called hdu um just i don't know if that's um you know the the standard throughout all hospitals but it sounds like it's a high dependency unit yeah Mm. and do you know why you were moved there I don't know why, maybe because I'd woken up. Right. Um, like the first, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not too sure of my facts on that, but I'm guessing because I'd woken up and then um, it's like the next stage on, get the, the bed available for someone else. Because I was, I was apparently very lucky to get the, the bed in that hospital. Um, mm. And um, yeah, I'll give it up for someone else. And did you move on to a rehab ward after that? So I moved to another ward. Um, in Salford Royal, it was I think it was called B Eight, but that's I suppose specific to Salford Royal. Um, and then when my memory picks up, is another ward called C Two, uh, which I believe in Salford Royal is pretty much just the standard route, and that's like the neuro recovery ward, mm. and um, that's like the last place on the journey in Hope or Salford Royal. Before you go to move, before I moved on, mm. and you mentioned before about physiotherapy. Um, did you have um, neuropsychology input or occupational therapy? So I had neuropsychology, but uh, who I still see now, yeah, a guy called Russell Sheldrick. Um, he wouldn't see me until I was out of post-traumatic amnesia because I guess it wouldn't. Um, made much difference because the, as soon as I had it I'd have forgotten it again so yeah, yeah. Um, he was apparently sat when because obviously I used to work in a bar at the time I was a young student and obviously at that time you've got a great social life loads of friends and I noticed people uh, my mum said he would you sit in the corner of the um, sit in the corner of the ward especially when like all my friends used to come in and um, my mum was my mum was concerned that he was getting quite upset with the you know, amount of people that were tripping in and out of this hospital. But um, he said, no, it was a really good thing because stimulation from the the initial stages is really good. Mm, okay. Well, we'll talk about that um, in a little while. Um, so you had your neuropsychology. Um, did you have any other therapies that you can remember? I remember having physio. Um one thing, one of the reasons I come out so well, I was quite physically fit and strong at the time. Mm. And um, it was, I was a young lad. I worked behind a bar. I was trying to impress people. That's <laughs> all I was, that's the, that's the reason behind that. Um, and I, one of the things I used to do in the gym beforehand was I used to do like, you know, you know, you know what dips are. Oh um, yes, yeah. tricep dips. And yeah, things. yeah. And um, so in the, um, in, in like the little gym, there was um, some like ballet bars, Mm. ballet balance bars and I tried to um, do some tricep dips on it and I just <laughs> collapsed on the floor so you don't realise how, how much your strength has disappeared um, I remember I remember getting um, 
getting weighed and my, my, my weight had gone down to some, I mean, I was like, I was trying to, you know, become as big as possible beforehand. And, you know, I, I was like maybe 12 stone, something like that. And, um, I was, um, I remember it was, it was in kilograms. So I didn't massively understand kilograms at the time. I just remember having this number and it equated to, I think it was seven stone nine. Oh gosh. And now, yeah, I went, I went really, really skinny. So yeah. the chance of me, I mean, I didn't have much to lift doing a tricep bit, but I, the, the, the size of my muscles must have just almost yeah, disappeared yeah. from not moving for so long. Lost muscle tone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is again, why it's important to have that ongoing physiotherapy to yeah. try and keep um, some muscle tone going. Um, talking a bit more about whilst you were in hospital and um, this idea of a very fake environment. Um, tell me what what you you recall of that and how how distorted your reality was. Well, I think one thing that happens with brain injury is that your initial healing just goes right. You know, you're doing fantastically at first, and you think that. You know, at this rate, I'm going to be back out. I'm going to be back in the pubs in a couple of months. You know, <laughs> that's well, that was my, that was my main life. I was a student, so um, you just you just think that you you know you're doing really well, and obviously everybody's very encouraging towards you. Yeah, you're doing really well. You no know, no one's going to say you know you're not doing that well. So you you do, you've got this in your head. You're doing um, you're doing fantastic. You're you, you're way ahead of the curve, and um. When when you're in when you're in when you're in the hospital ward, you're in it's it is it's a fake environment. So it's like you're told when to get up, when to rest, when to eat, mm. um, and it's all very structured without you actually knowing about it. You yeah. you just concentrate on. I think I'm doing great, but um, because but, other people are giving you the structure. Yeah, all you know, as all this thing is set up for you, and you go to like you go maybe do some physio, and then you go back and have a rest in your bed, and you go and do. You see a neuropsychologist, and then you have, a, you know, and then you have a rest, and then you know you're doing doing lots of resting, and um, you never do, you never do two like physio, you know, you never have like say one thing of physio which is quite mentally, no, sorry, which is quite physically tiring. You never have that on the morning, and then on the afternoon as well. They would never do that. Mm. You know, they're, they're spaced out across the week, but you don't realize that. Yeah, you just think you're doing great and you're doing fine, and you, you don't need these doctors and nurses and stuff telling you, you know, telling you what to do, you'd be fine on your own. But it's, um, it is, it's not. So for that reason, it's not, not the real environment. So yeah. if, you, if you're ever taken out of that environment, then it would hit you quite hard. So tell us about um, when you went to the Trafford Centre, what happened there? So that was a treat. Um, I kept going on, I wanted a KFC. And um, <laughs> the as great as our NHS is, their food is awful. So um, <laughs> we went to, um, so as my treat, we went like to a restaurant that's still there now. It's in the main, um, the main dome when you go in and it's called Las Iguanas. Oh yes. And um, we went there and the, well, the plan was to go there. And I just, my sister's boyfriend was driving at the time, Jay. And we just found, um, I just found it so you know when you get seasick, mm. it was and he was he was blessing. He was driving as as um, as cautiously as he could. And uh, but if you've, I suppose the reason we worked out for is because I've been I'd been still like near like three or four months. I'd not literally moved out of my bed, and then all of a sudden, yeah, 
you go up and you're traveling at 30 miles an hour, you're going around corners and then you start and you're stopping. And um, I just, I just totally knocked me for six. And then we were parked with quite a walk to where we needed to go to where the restaurant was. And I remember we came in on like the top level and um, I remember just feeling really like, like I got vertigo or something really disorientated. Mm. And we kind of, we, well, this was my, uh, something that I worked out after that I'd been in this hospital all this time, but then I'd, you know, I'd been in a small room, even, even the wards were like, you know, it was no more than like five meters away, the, 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 the wall. And, um, all of a sudden I'm in this massive room. And if you've ever been to the traffic center, you've been in that, that, that central, um, food hall. And it's basically like a hundred meters, possibly even more to the um, to the nearest wall mm. and I just think you're coming from one place you've never moved with the walls five five meters away and then you go to a place for 30 miles an hour and um around different corners and then you um all of a sudden you're in a like this massive room with lots of people with lots of people yeah and it's just um yeah everybody in the ho- the hospital are kind of knew the network obviously i kept forgetting them because i had a brain injury but <laughs> i um i knew most of them you know the most of them were nurses and you know you were used to seeing the same people that's what i mean and then oh yeah all of a sudden there were, you know lots of different people lots and of noise and light lots, yeah yeah we went we went we chose a specific day that was uh quite quiet i think we went on a tuesday night or something like that um just so it wouldn't be that busy but um it was still a lot busier than i'd never been used to before for, mm. for the last five months anyway so it was yeah quite a traumatic experience my first <laughs> my first you know when you sit there what happens is you, you sat in your bed and you just you're just imagining how your life would be you know you get you get into nightclubs and you, you know you're doing you're going to do this and you're going to do that and then um, you don't you don't know anything about how much the noise would affect you how much the, the light lighting would affect you mm. how much yeah the the music um or other people it's just you don't you don't you don't take any of that into account so it's um when it hits you it hits, it hits you quite hard yeah yeah and did that make you realize that actually perhaps you weren't ready for the the big wide world just yet um i don't think i think i had this attitude that i was like that i was okay um and then maybe i was a bit ashamed that i'd been telling everyone i was okay and then when the opportunity presented itself, I really wasn't okay, but I didn't want to admit that. So yeah. um, even to myself as well, I just made my own, my own excuses in my head and I just, I don't know, it was just, a, I think it just put it down to a bad day at the office. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I guess it touches on the issue of um, what we call insight um, and understanding, having that full understanding of time, where yeah. you are versus where you think you are. Yeah, and yeah. yeah it's often seen um, with people with brain injuries that they don't necessarily have full insight, um, that they do think they're doing better than they are or as you know as we've discussed that you're in a fake environment in hospital where you have a structure and routine in place for you anyway um but when you're in the the real world if you like um those things aren't necessarily there and it's um it's quite an adjustment thinking also about when you were in hospital um you you've got some stories, haven't you, about um, some of the um, the dreams and the confusion that you had. Talk to us about some of those. That was 
post-traumatic amnesia. So I guess by nature of the name, we a lot of them I can't remember. Um, so I was in this state of post-traumatic amnesia for six weeks. We worked out. And um, I can probably remember one or two nights of it. Mm. Um, my mum and my sister had come in one morning. Again, another trauma that I've introduced them to. When they came in, I was like um, very sort of, you know, full of bad language and stuff. And I was pointing to this 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 nurse that had been there. Um, and then I'd accused him of all sorts of stuff and uh, accused him of kidnapping me and what I'd said. And I still, do you know what? It's bizarre because I've still got this memory of this actually happening. I just know that it was not a real memory. And it's, you know, um, I know that it's real memory and that I've made it up, but I still have the memory of it happening. I remember being sat on a on a train, you know, like there's every so often there's a, a you know, there's normal seats and there's a table, isn't there? So mm. I, was, I was sat on a table and I remember this guy had um, a, a gun up at the bottom of the table pointing towards me and I was being kidnapped. But I suppose that you don't really fill these stories in when you've, um, when your brain's not working properly. Like, why was I being kidnapped? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't, I don't think I thought to ask. I was just being kidnapped. And um, it was a woman, the woman pushing the trolley was the um, the healthcare assistant, um, they used to work in the, you know, it's, it's a bit of a coincidence as well. You know, why didn't I work that out? I don't know. But, um, and then when I, when, when I, the guy accused of kidnapping me was actually um, the nurse who was what they called special in me, who was like, he was sat by my bedside all night. Mm. So this poor guy had sat, sat by my my bedside for his entire shift and I've re- thanked him by re- <laughs> accused him of kidnapping me that was um that was the f- the first one I can remember the second one's perhaps a little bit funnier I um so I spoke to this nurse called Aaron um and I still want to go back because apparently he's still working there so um, I still want to meet him and um he I asked him where my slippers were um, cause I was always losing stuff, even though it's just around my bed. I, I asked him if he'd seen my slippers and, um, I told him, I think I'd left them in the state restaurant, which obviously confused him. And, um, cause there's a canteen, hospital canteen, that's all there was. And uh, if, I don't, I don't think there was a state restaurant. Nobody told me about it anyway in Hope Hospital. And, um, I told him that it was on the roof and I've still, again, I've still got this genuine memory of, of this happening to me and I'd gone up on this um, roof where there was a field of cows and it was a bit like a it was a bit like you know when you go in a like a, a seafood restaurant you choose the fish you're going to eat out of the um, out of the tank um, it was a bit like that um, you chose the cow that you wanted to eat and um, <laughs> I thought this was I thought this was in the in the hospital yeah and, you know, and if, you, if you like if you sit and think about it that's just so easy to disprove because you know that would mean they would have had to in a sterile environment, which is a hospital, um, lead a load of cows to up in the lift to to, uh, to up to the roof, which was on on the yeah in the elevator, which was on the roof, and um, but you know with a, with a I guess a, a brain that's been in shock, you just you just don't think about anything like that. 
Yeah. Well, yes. And I think that's a, a great example of what we call confabulation, where you have these weird and fantastical memories that feel very real, but yeah. are obviously not real when you sit and rationalize them. But they sort of fill in the gaps of other real um, memories. So um, a bit like the the dream with the, the nurse kidnapping you, you know, you'd You'd got real memories of the nurse who was sitting by your bed and the healthcare assistant. They featured in your dream, but then your brain, I guess, in its way of repairing itself, it's um, it's then reaching for other memories that don't really exist. Maybe that had come from a film or something that I'd seen. I Maybe, don't know, yeah. yeah, and just sort of joining up the dots, but yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah, um, hugely the wrong way. <laughs> very much so. Unless uh, Salford Royal's got a steak restaurant on the roof now, I don't know. Um, but it's it's very um, interesting, and I think it goes to show how. Um, how brain injury can affect people in so many different ways. So many um, different ways, yeah. During your recovery, it's um, and I think it's important to note that recovery is different for everybody. Um, so what might have happened to you as part of your recovery process won't necessarily be the same for the next person um, because everybody's different. It's an absolute like a lottery, isn't it? It's just there's so many different factors, so many different types of the different parts of the brain that do different things and you know even if you're you're never gonna you're never gonna injure the same cells as that same person and even so even if you do injure the same cells they've got a different brain so it will yeah. have a different effects on them yeah absolutely and you know we've mentioned how you were um a young man you were a very fit and healthy young man um and that of course um might have changed the outcome for you as opposed to somebody else who perhaps wasn't at the same age or same yeah. level of health um, so it's it's very different. And that leads us quite nicely to thinking about tips um, for friends and family members um, when their loved one is in hospital. Um, so you mentioned about early stimulation. Um, I think it's important as well, though, not to overwhelm somebody so yeah. that there's too much stimulation. And, you know, we saw that with your trip to the Trafford Centre that yeah. that was perhaps a bit too overwhelming. It's it's finding the right balance. But what in what ways do you think um, friends and family could stimulate um, the loved one in hospital? Well, I suppose one thing that was, that was like a, the, in the hospital I was in, the become this culture of like who was doing the best and who was recovering the best. And you can, um, I guess, with the like the family and stuff, you could, this could happen as well. They could like overstimulate, you know, over push them i guess um you've got so what you've got to do is you've got to take the advice of the you know the doctors yes. and take it very seriously absolutely it's i think those discussions with the treating team about um how a family um, member or friend can help what they can do and making yeah. sure that they're working in tandem with the clinical team so they're not upsetting the routine and the structure yeah you can do too much i think but you can um you can do too little as well i just think I think pictures, my my family brought in different pictures. Mm. Um, you know, anything anything from their old life because it, the hospital is a very, it's a horrible, you know, uh, very clinical environment. It's green, it's grey, and it's not very um, not very nice. So anything that you can bring from home, anything that yeah. can, anything that can familiarise them with it. So perhaps music as well, if um, if they brought in um, an MP3 or an iPod. Yeah, yeah. Don't bring a ghetto blaster. That one, <laughs> that one go down very well. But my uh, my dad brought me um, like a, 
an MP3 and mixed uh, like a shuffle and um, just with loads of my favourite songs on it and mm. put it in my ears. They used to do that when I was in a coma, actually. They used to put the um, shuffle in my, in my ears. Yeah. Just let me, let me listen to them. Just to try and, yeah. yeah, stimulate something. I guess also talking to somebody whilst they're in hospital, just talking about anything, really, um, talking about things that have happened in the past or... Yeah, don't, just to try and- I, th- I would say don't get too stressed if the the person repeats themselves that's what's going to happen a lot especially in especially in your um post-traumatic amnesia i guess also you mentioned pictures perhaps um bringing in things to for them to read or reading to them i was when i was in the hospital i was i was reading and i was um i was shutting one eye and you know i didn't really mm. realize why i was shutting one eye i was just i was just doing it because it was easier but that's because I had double vision. I mean, obviously, it was a lot worse then. It's got a lot better now, but I've still got it now. Mm. And um, I still do it now. Shut one eye. That's why I can't read. I suppose if um, if friends and family members that are visiting notice things like that, then feeding that back to the clinical team. Yeah. I suppose coming back to other tips and um, advice for friends and family, um, certainly to liaise with the clinical team and ask them what they can do to help um how they can help um we talked before about not overwhelming someone too much so another thing could be that they somebody takes responsibility for organizing who's visiting when so that you don't have all your friends yeah yeah Yeah. which i did on a couple of occasions yeah well that was just the one set of friends you know they came in from the bar and um not from the bar. Not from the bar, you know. <laughs> After a couple of Stellas, they came along to see Brooke. But it was, um, yeah, they, they all come at once, but they were one group of friends. So it wasn't like, I was like having several different groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess also it's important though not to overwhelm because people can find that they have um, difficulties um, following more than one person um, if if there are lots of people speaking at once. I still get that now, yeah. Still yeah. get that now 15 years later. Um, yeah, I suppose the the perfect environment for me would be a coffee shop on a Tuesday afternoon, but it's not very rock and roll, is it? It's not really what you want to what you want to become. And something that's happened to me as well is that I still want to. Um, so from from when I had the injury, I was I was chasing to get back to the person I was and in a sense still am mm. but that person is 24 years old and I'm now 38 so I've lost a bit of um it's just just been a whole weird thing for me it's like I I think I've lost out on a lot of you know that that period of when you become into an adult mm. um, I was just on the I mean I've done things I'd been to Australia I'd been you know I've moved away from home I'd been to uni and um but having a lot of the um, a lot of the mundane things like buying a house, getting your first job, finishing uni, um, I never I never got to do that, so I missed out mm. on that. Yeah, yeah, sort of typical life milestones. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah I think I'll, that that was um, the time when you become from being a teenager into an adult I kind of missed that I had that my the period of that period of my life was different to everyone else's so yeah yeah I don't have that much and it's a significant adjustment um as you say you were chasing who you were but who you became after the injury was kind of a new you yeah um and it's important that 
um, people realise that, um, family, friends, anyone really, that um, after an injury, it's very difficult for that person to return to exactly how they were. There will yeah. be a change. Coming back to some other tips as well, um, and I guess this is for our audience generally, um, asking to be involved in meetings with the clinical team so um, so that, you know, they know what the direction of travel is in relation to care and rehabilitation um, That um, and that they can have some input as well because as the people closest to the injured person, they know that person really well and that can help to inform the clinical team about yeah. how somebody might um, might improve or might um, react um, or benefit to, to a course of action. Um, there are also um, various external um, sources of support. Um, uh, Headway is um, a particular um, source of support. Headway is a charity that, um, a national charity that supports um, survivors of brain injury, but also their friends, their families, their carers. And they have a wealth of information on their website um, and fact sheets about um, what people can do and the resources that they can turn to. There are also other charities and organizations um, like the Brain Injury Group. There may be um, more local um community um, organisations. Um, Headway also runs um, a HATS nurse scheme. Um, and again, um, the HATS nurse in the hospital um, might be able to provide some specific support. Um, so there are various things that um, friends and family um, can do and can turn to in order to support their loved one, but also for themselves in terms of understanding what's going on um, and and understanding how they feel about it um, as well. Because we know that brain injuries, it's a huge adjustment. We've talked about, you know, not going back to the old you, which is a big adjustment for you, but it's equally a big adjustment for everyone else who who knew you as you were and are coming to terms with you as you are now. It's it's like a grieving process. You're grieving mm. for that person because that person's gone, mm. even though they're, they're physically still there and they largely look the same. Essentially, they're not the same person. The you know the brain inside the head has has changed, so they're, they're essentially a different person. Yeah, yeah. It's the new you. Yeah, and it's about being positive about that and not being hung up on the um on the you know the old you because you're never going to achieve that so there's there's very little point into in trying to you know in mourning over that and there's a thing in the in what was hope hospital in Salford Royal and probably it's probably still there now it's in um Salford Royal Hospital in the neuropsychology department there's a big like a mural on the wall and it says um don't look back. You're not going that way, and that's <laughs> it's not. It's something that, uh, something I've come to realise how correct that is mm. later in my, in my recovery. Because there's yeah, there's there's no point in looking back. You, you you're going forward, and you need to concentrate on the person that you can become now. I think that's a really positive message. Thank you for sharing your experiences, Brooke. Um, that was really really helpful, and I'm sure our listeners would agree. Join us next time when we'll be talking about fatigue and the importance of rest and tips around managing fatigue. Make sure you check out the footnotes for more help, advice and resources.